Welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. That's so cute, and that's so us. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Dr. Moy McDear. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and a friend to the universe. It's true. Feel, yeah, mm-hmm. very connected to yeah. everything out there. Mm-hmm. I love that. I am Karin Caputo, a writer, a funny person, and... You know, sometimes I don't feel connected to the universe, but I do today. Oh, I love that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think because this is a, I'm very excited about today's episode. Yes. Oh, 50. I know. 50 episodes, Corinne. We've been doing Pale Blue Pod for almost a year. Actually, we've we've been doing it for a year. Yeah. We had all that pre-prep. Yeah, exactly. So. Thrilling. Congrats on a year. Happy, happy almost anniversary. I know. It's funny that 50 isn't a year because it feels like a bigger it just feels like a more significant number than 52, but... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Anyway, um, we are recording today in the Multitude offices, which is, I think our listeners are aware, we are part of the Multitude family, a podcast collective of incredible people, and we're happy to be here. Yeah, we are, because over the last almost year, we've traveled to some amazing locations, to some amazing times, mm-hmm. uh, even to some some fictional worlds. And we figured for our 50th episode, when we're trying to, to ground ourselves yes. in, in our roots as, as a podcast, we wanted to come back to Multitude, where it all started. Yeah, and I'm really glad we did. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it is. Uh, so while we're here in the the Multitude studio, we are going to be answering your questions. For the Yay. last uh, um, couple of weeks, we have been telling you we're going to do an AMA episode. We've been asking you to send in your questions because we want to know what you want to know about space. And uh, we, we have the answers. And we have some <laughs> questions of our own for you, right, Corinne? Yes, we do. We'll finish this out with some quiz questions for our our diehards to see if they know what's going on. And if you don't know, that's fine. Our answers will be in next week's episode. Yay! All right. Well, then let's get on to the first question. Yay! Um, Our first question uh, was asked by by a couple of people. Crystal and Eva wanted to know what has been our favorite episode so far. Corinne? Mine is honestly our Moonfall episode, which is not, I think you had that too, but it's not, it's like our least science episode, I guess, but it was just so fun. And we recorded it pretty early in the process, so it was fun to kind of immediately be like figuring out different styles and forms we wanted. Yeah, that was our first movie review episode. I think uh, that's also one of my favorites for sure, because it was just so, it's such a wacky movie to begin with. Um, And I just watched an interview that Neil Tyson did, uh, where he said that that was the most physics-defying movie (laughs) he had seen recently. So uh, it felt good that we, we reviewed that early on. I think my favorite one... Uh, purely because we have referenced it in so many subsequent episodes, so to me it feels like it must have been super useful, Mm -hmm. um, was the one on the electromagnetic spectrum. Yes, we talk about that episode a lot. A lot, yeah, because it's it's astronomy where we're looking at things with light, so it's it's good that we covered what light is early on. Yeah, it's like a starter pack. Like if we had a starter pack for (laughs) Pelupon, I feel like that episode's in there. Oh, I love that our starter pack is just like a rainbow, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Okay, Hannah asks, favorite place you've, quote, traveled to on the podcast? Um, (laughs) Quote. (laughs) Which I love this. I think mine is the Barbie dream house for a number of reasons. Because it was a very Mm. out there idea. And Misha, our sound designer, (laughs) very kindly was like, that doesn't have a sound. And I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Um... So that was fun to work through. And thank you to Misha for sticking the landing on that. Um, And it was also a really fun one for me to edit on our Instagram. I've been making really insane um, edits on our Instagram page. If you don't follow us, it's Pale Blue Pod. Um, And that was a really fun one to, to put together for me. It was. Uh, we we saw your legs for the yeah. first time. <laughs> and... <laughs> And they're so tiny. And they're quite tiny. That's why I, I yes. tend to crop them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think mine was the elephant sanctuary that we mm-hmm. did in episode 11, which was velocity through space. And I like it because elephants are cool. And, yes. um, you know, committing to the bit, it was really nice to be in such like a natural area um, surrounded by big, majestic creatures. Yeah, for sure. 
oh my god it's so mm-hmm. weird to see things so big in person or like i yeah could not have gotten my head around this via just pictures right and i mean like the first time I saw an elephant in in real life, I was blown away by yeah, by their size. So yeah, it was a cool trip we took. <laughs> Our next question comes from Curl Carolita, which I imagine is a is an Instagram mm-hmm. handle, mm-hmm. and they want to know: Can y'all do a live show or a meet and greet or something? Uh, they said they'd come from Canada, and we have good news that yeah. we are planning a live show in April in Erie, Pennsylvania to coincide with the 2024 solar eclipse mm-hmm. that's going to pass um, up from like Central America to the Northeast. So it's going to hit Erie, Pennsylvania, Buffalo. It's going to go up to Maine. Um, and we're going to do a show there. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. It's so exciting. Very exciting. So you can come down uh, from Canada to Erie, Pennsylvania. We'll have more news about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. More more news will, will come out closer to the date. Uh, but Curl Carolita also wanted to know, what are our zodiac signs? I am a Leo. I'm a late July Leo. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I, I am. Karen, what are your big three? Do you know your big three? Um. Okay, Leo... Leo regular and then I think like Gemini rising and then I think it's a Pisces third one the moon and honestly I don't read any horoscope except Leo when I'm feeling anxious because I'm like Mm -hmm. turning to some version of of non-responsibility like please just take my life out of my hands for a minute (laughs) fair I I understand that urge do you um do you feel like a Leo you know sometimes and sometimes no there's so many astrology memes on instagram where i'll see one that i think is genuinely funny but it's not about leo but i'm like but that is kind of about me so (laughs) sometimes yeah i am a capricorn sun and an aries moon and a taurus rising and i i also don't read any horoscopes um i only know my big three because people ask about it a lot in like the dating scene (laughs) sure sure um, but I have never seen a meme about Capricorns that I did not relate to. Like, That's ev- so funny. <laughs> I feel like I'm very much a Capricorn, um, even though I don't, like, listen to it. Yeah. You know, Leo is a lot about um, being the center of attention, and that can definitely be me, but I think I've become more introverted as I've gotten older. So sometimes I'm like, mm. oh, that actually seems like a nightmare right now. Maybe you're leaning into your, like, moon or rising signs. Yeah. I don't know. Every seven years, every seven years, your zodiac changes. <laughs> <laughs> new cells, new yeah, zodiac. Yeah, new cells, new zodiac. <laughs> Who dis? Um, um, okay, Danielle sent us a video through Instagram. Um, well, way I can summarize it, but asking if it's true and what our thoughts are on it. Yeah. uh, So this was a I opened it. It was a TikTok video and it was about a finding, a new finding from JWST, which is the Just Wonderful Space Telescope or the Jelly (laughs) Welly Space Telly. It was a finding about this big planet that supposedly uh, the scientists had discovered signs of life. Um, This was not the first time someone sent me not this specific video, but something about this paper that came out. Um, my my father actually texted me asking oh, so if funny. it was real um, last week. So um, I looked into it, and mm, short answer, it's definitely exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Longer answer is a little bit more nuanced. So JWST is a really powerful telescope that can study the atmospheres of planets around other stars. And it does that with a method called transmission spectroscopy. So as a planet passes in front of a, a star from our point of view, um, you've heard me on the show talk a lot about transmission photometry. But transmission spectroscopy is when you're waiting for the planet to pass in front of the star so that you can see how the starlight changes as it passes through the planet's atmosphere. Um, because when it passes through the atmosphere, the light will get absorbed by the molecules that are in the atmosphere. So um, if we're studying pure starlight and this atmosphere-affected starlight, then we can figure out what the atmosphere is made of. And there was this big, splashy headline about this specific planet called K218b. Um, It was discovered back in 2015. It's about eight times the size of Earth. It's orbiting an M-dwarf star, so much cooler uh, and dimmer than our sun. But this planet is in the habitable zone. And as far as we could tell, based on earlier studies, this is not what this 
splashy headline is about. It's a, a Hycean world. So it has a mm-hmm. lot of water vapor in its atmosphere. It might even be like a, a water ocean world. Um, but the big headline recently was that they had detected dimethyl sulfide in the atmosphere of this planet, along with carbon dioxide and some um, methane. But the dimethyl sulfide was the exciting one because it's what's considered a biosignature mm-hmm. by scientists. Um, it is the type of molecule that here on Earth, we really only find it as a result or a byproduct of biological processes. So you need life to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the news sites, the media made a big deal about this one detection of dimethyl sulfide saying that uh, it was a sign that there were aliens out there. And some people said it with yeah. so much certainty in their chests. Um, but even the authors on this paper, I went and I looked through it and it is linked in our um, Patreon research notes. So uh, I, I looked through the paper and they even said that they need to collect more data before they can be sure about that dimethyl sulfide detection. Um, it was just a one sigma detection, so it's not super significant, meaning like there's a chance that it could just be noise in the data making it look like they've detected this mm-hmm. molecule. Um, so Danielle, probably not. Yeah. Aw, it does sound like it would be cool, though. Yeah. I think we we have to do an episode, Corinne, about all of the big news stories about aliens that came out this summer. Oh, my gosh. There are so many. There are so many. I think we got to do one. That would be really fun. That is another mm-hmm. favorite episode of mine to go back of the messages to aliens. That was fun. Oh, yeah. And quickly, talking about telescopes, stay tuned to the end of this episode. Um, My husband has a very funny book coming out, and he's going to read his piece, The Telescope We Sent Into Deep Space Wants to Come Home. (laughs) Honestly, sounds sad. Maybe it is, but I think it's a little funny. Your husband is funny. He's a funny guy, yeah. (laughs) Um, Vanessa wanted to ask me specifically, although... Mm -hmm. Feel free to weigh in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Vanessa says, Moya, based off of your expertise, what do you think is the most probable way the universe will end? Because I've talked about the big rip, the big freeze, et cetera. But what is the most likely scenario? Um, Oh, Vanessa also has a question for Corinne. Great. Yes. Um, So I'll answer I'll answer this question specifically then. It all depends on how dark energy behaves, and our current observations of it imply that it's not strong enough. Dark energy isn't strong enough for the big rip, so it's not going to accelerate the expansion of the universe until everything, even individual atoms, rip apart. Um, And we are pretty sure that it's not uh, weak enough to be the big crunch. Um, Gravity isn't going to win over dark energy and pull everything back together. Uh, Instead, it seems like we're just going to continue expanding forever because dark energy has that intermediate strength and the most likely scenario is the big freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will be staying tuned to whatever the dark energy survey is doing um, and whatever results they have coming out in the next decade or so. Yeah. Vanessa asked me, Corinne, what are your feelings on that scenario? So in next week's episode, Moya and I talk about the scariest things in space for our Halloween episode. Um, And I do mention that I am afraid of cold. So (laughs) the big freeze is not really uh, my number one choice here. But but I'm taking solace in the fact that I will be long gone by the time this happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you should also take solace in that because the big freeze is the scenario that takes the longest amount of time. A slow death. Uh, Love it. A very, very <laughs> slow death. Um, in, in my book, The Milky Way, uh, where I personify our galaxy and turn it into this sassy, lovesick bitch, um, <laughs> she, she's very excited. It. Um, the, the Milky Way has no gender. But um, the Milky Way is very excited about the big freeze because it's in love with Andromeda. And that is the scenario that gives it more time with Andromeda. Aww. Just, just a big lovesick bitch. That is so sweet. Um, Okay, Mike and David, we have a few people ask this. If the universe, which is everything, has been constantly expanding since the Big Bang, what is it expanding into? What's beyond the universe? A question question. for every stoner I've ever met. (laughs) Yes. Or like any teenager like coming online. (laughs) Corinne, I cannot tell you how many times I've had this conversation. I'm sure. And like this is the question. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that people are always disappointed when they have this conversation with me and not like a philosopher Mm -hmm. because the physics answer shuts it down pretty quickly. The physics answer is just nothing. Yeah. Um, All of the math, all of the science that we use to explain the natural world uh, depends on certain boundary conditions and and those boundaries end at the edge of the universe. So our science doesn't define anything outside of the universe. It's not expanding into anything. It just simply is itself expanding, um, creating more space as it does so. Mm-hmm. And there was no time before the Big Bang because that is mathematically where our time has to equal zero um, mm. in, for our equations to work. So physics doesn't, I think, have a very satisfying answer to this yeah. because physics just depends on what our equations and our observations can tell us. Right. But I, I also think that, like, philosophically, they might take a little longer to get to that answer, but it's the same. Like, there, there is... There is nothing outside the universe. And as far as we know, there was nothing before the universe. Although sometimes I tell people about the big bounce hypothesis for the end of the universe, and it makes them feel better that perhaps before this universe, there was another one. Mm, I do but that's like that. unlikely. Yeah. So I am only thinking of the end or the beginning of Men in Black when they like zoom out of the universe and it's like a marble and aliens are playing with these universe marbles mm. and then you zoom out again and it's something else. Yeah, and it's like on a on a cat's belt yeah. and it's like it's exactly like, yeah. exactly. Um, but I mean, what do you think about that? I like thinking that we're not expanding into something because I okay. think thinking about what's beyond the universe is so overwhelming to me and so hard to imagine and get my head around that it's nice to hear that there's nothing. Like, that's not how it works. What you're imagining of, like, how you might be, you know, expand in your bedroom or, like, in, like, a balloon growing in the party, like, that's not quite what's happening here, and I like that. Yeah, like, the the universe is just, like, really stretchy gum, you know, yeah. and like to everything in the gum, there's nothing outside of it. It's getting bigger, but it's still like the same gum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hope that helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, Birdkiller77 wants to know what the planet Mercury is made of, uh, because it seems like anything that close to the sun should melt. Um, I hope you're not out there actually killing birds. I hope that is not the number of bird kills you have. You know, I think I looked, tried to look for this person's name because I was like, we got to call them by their name. Couldn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, you will forever be known as Birdkiller77. <laughs> um, and and to, to that person, I can say that based on some data we have from uh, the messenger probe, uh, which we sent to Mercury, and from radar observations that we've done here on Earth and with some space-based telescopes, we have done a pretty good job of looking at the interior of Mercury uh, with like seismic data. So like looking at the shape and patterns of pressure waves passing through the planet. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that it's pretty dense. It is the second densest planet in the solar system after Earth. Um, And we think that the whole composition of the planet is like 70% metal. Most of that is iron. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the rest is going to be silicates. So like... The, the stuff that makes glass um, and other lighter rocks here on Earth. Uh, the core is mostly molten, but sometimes it gets solid closer to the to the surface. But that core goes out to like 85% of the radius. So 85% of the journey from the center of Mercury, you're still in that uh, liquid core. And then there's a very, very thin crust and there is no atmosphere because the solar wind has blown it away. So it's not actually a matter of the temperature keeping uh, the planet Mercury from having a structure uh, because it's it's far enough away from the sun for that. Like, that's why it formed there. Um, All the stuff that was closer, all of the pebbles and and little rocks and pieces of dust that Mm -hmm. were closer to the sun early in its lifetime, they got, like, vaporized. Um, But the stuff that made Mercury was far enough away to be fine. That's a good question. Yeah. I like the critical thinking of, wait a second, it's I mean, kind of hot over there. That's why it doesn't have moons. Um, yeah. the, the moons likely got vaporized or, or gravitationally pulled into the sun or like the material that would have made a moon. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll do a whole episode on, on Mercury. I was going to say, we'll have to do, we'll have to cover Mercury on its yeah. own. 
I love this question from Kim. <laughs> Why are there no green stars? Green is a cool color. It doesn't deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, you're so right. And green is my favorite color. Like, that's the color I'm going to wear if I'm feeling nervous about, like, if I need my, a power color, <laughs> that's what I'm wearing. Hell yeah. I Green is my favorite color. I'm sitting here in my green sweatshirt mm-hmm. and my recording closet with green acoustic panels. Mm-hmm. I love green. Um, but the the answer to this question has more to do with the way our eyes perceive color and send that information to our brains and less about what these actual stars look like. Because there there are definitely stars that shine at a wavelength that corresponds to green light. Um, our sun actually peaks at that wavelength, but uh, it's it's more of a complicated picture. So every single object in, in the universe, including us, but definitely stars, emits some light at all wavelengths. But your peak wavelength depends on your temperature. And if you have a cooler temperature, then you're going to peak at a longer wavelength or um, Mm -hmm. a lower frequency, so like less energetic light. So we humans, we peak in the infrared. That's why like our bodies give off body heat. So if you're like looking at the light that we emit and not just reflect, that's that's infrared light. Um, Stars emit all, all over the electromagnetic spectrum, but they do have a peak. So when your eyes look at a star, you're making a composite image from all of those wavelengths of light, especially when you're looking at a star that peaks near the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum, which is what we can see. And we can see that because that's what our sun does, and we evolved to see the light that the sun gives off. Um, But the color receptors in our eyes are called cones, and they don't just see one specific wavelength. There are three different types of cones, um, and each of those cones sees a range of wavelengths, and they all overlap. So when you're looking at a star that otherwise would shine green um, because it peaks in that wavelength like our sun, you also see a lot of the red and blue light that it emits because, again, it's like emitting Mm -hmm. that whole spectrum. And our cones will just combine all of that light um, and the combination of colors looks white to us. So there are green stars, Mm -hmm. um, but our eyes just don't see them that way because they combine all of the light into white. So the problem is our eyes are the ones who are insulting green. It's not the stars. Yes. (laughs) In more ways than one, right? Like... Why are green eyes the least common? You know, the we're, our are eyes they? are just disrespecting green. Whoa, I have green eyes. Do you really? I do. I can't. Oh. I guess I, I can't show our listeners, but I do have green <laughs> no. eyes. Um, yeah, I, I have a wished. little freckle in one, too. There are definitely fantasy books where, like, that means that you, you've been chosen by some god or something. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm just going to get sure. plucked out of obscurity and be the princess yeah. of... Genovia or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dream. Uh, For me, anyway. Same. I'm singing the Genovia theme song. <laughs> um, Joanna wants to know that if, if, <laughs> if their favorite planet is Jupiter, does that make them basic? No. Corinne, what do you think? No. Jupiter rocks. I agree. It's huge. It has that weird spot. <laughs> Jupiter actually doesn't have that many rocks. So, like... <laughs> <Jupiter>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, um, it definitely doesn't make you basic. If anything, um, that's definitely not the most common answer I've heard to this question. What do you hear the most, Mars? Saturn. Ooh, People love okay. Saturn. Well, actually, uh, you'll get the like most of the time you'll you'll hear people say Earth. Yeah. Um, if someone wants to talk about another planet, most of the time it's Saturn, and then they'll go to either Mars or Jupiter. I'd say those mm-hmm. are are tied after that. Oh, Neptune. Yeah. Yeah. But that does lead very, very nicely into our next question um, from Eva, which is what's our favorite planet? Earth. (laughs) (laughs) See, there you go. It's Earth. Um, (laughs) It's just such a beautiful planet and we know a lot about it. And I love that. I love knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) I love knowledge. Um, Yeah, I... When I get asked this question... Do you say an exoplanet? I do say ah! an exoplanet. <laughs> I say Kepler-186f. <laughs> Wait, we've talked about Kepler, this Kepler before, because of those like retro travel posters. Um, yeah. And there's a Kepler 
one. Yes. Um, I think there might be a couple Kepler ones because it, it discovered most of the planets by the time those posters were made. But Kepler 186F is one of the planets I studied in college. So it's one of my favorites. And it was the first um, Earth-sized planet found in the habitable zone of a star. But the star was not like our sun. And um, I just I, I really like it because I studied it and it has that first going for it. Yeah, totally. But sometimes then people get annoyed with me and they're like, stop showing off and just pick a planet like a normal person. <laughs> pick one we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that answer is Uranus mm-hmm. um, because it's the planet in our solar system with the most extreme tilt. It is laying on its side. And I really appreciate and like I relate to that, you know, as someone Laying I down. describe myself <laughs> as professionally ambitious and recreationally lazy. Like yep. Uranus gets shit done, but on its side. And I that's, love that. I aspire. That's you know? how I feel working from home when I move to the couch. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to get this done. I'm just going to do it my, on my way. Yes. All of my work is done from my couch. Occasionally, I'll, I'll work from my armchair. And if I'm really having like a lazy day, I'll work from my bed. Yeah. My biggest wish right now is to get a new couch that is extremely comfortable because mm. my Wayfair couch is not cutting it anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to do work from the horizontal position. <laughs> It's episode 50! It's me, Corinne, and I wanted to say thank you to all of our amazing patrons who support the show every month. It means so much to us. Thank you, as always, to our Sunlike stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, and Peyton, and our newest Sunlike star, Ian O'Leary. And of course, a thank you to our latest pre-main sequence star, Rowan McKenzie. And you can support us, hear your name on this podcast, make it to our patron star chart, all by supporting us on Patreon for just about a dollar per episode. And if you sign up for an annual membership, you get a 13% discount. You can find the star chart, Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that is fine. We still love you so much. You're still space. You can support us by reviewing the show on whatever app you use or by sharing the show with your friends. I also have another podcast in the Multitude family to recommend. It's Multitude's newest show, Big Game Hunger, and it's a weekly comedy show where Jenna Stieber and friends craft the next big video game. Starting with randomly generated genres, concepts, and vibes, Jenna and a variety of funny and game-obsessed guests will take these ideas far enough that they can pitch it to a shadowy board of rich investors. (laughs) By the end of the episode, they'll have honed an IP so irresistible, you'll be ready to risk $25 for it on Steam. Laugh about games you love, learn about game trends, and yearn for titles that will surely miss their release date every Monday with Big Game Hunger. And finally, just in time for cozy season, you can indulge in the timeless pleasure of Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger's premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburger puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Regardless of your preferences or skill level, you'll find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you thanks to a wide variety of images, themes, and piece counts available. You can start small and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces. If you're up for the challenge, and I know you are, shop Ravensburger on Amazon today. Okay, back to the 50th episode. Um, Okay, let's see. Hannah asks, what planet would you want to be an organism on and why, parentheses, assume you've adapted, which is a good caveat. Thank you so much for that, Hannah. Um, Corinne, do you know? Um, I I do want to see what it's like on Mars. Like, we've seen pictures. I don't want to go to Mars ever, um, and I don't think any people really need to, but it looks so close to just some of the stuff we've witnessed here on earth like the pov of the rovers obviously not blue skies Mm -hmm. or like water grass whatever but i think that eeriness i want to experience just for a moment yeah that would be so eerie like the i imagine that the the wind on such a thin atmosphere like it must sound so spooky yeah and the sunsets are like different colors than Mm. here um yeah I just think it would be super creepy and I'm sure I'll have a nightmare one night about this very thing and I'll never, I'll take this answer back, but (laughs) for now, I I want to see it. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, 
hint, hint, we're we're covering Mars soon, the mm-hmm. planet. So so we'll learn more about it. <sighs> Hannah, this is so hard. Um, if I had to choose a planet in our solar system, if I were limited to that, I would say Venus. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we can't send anything into its into its clouds for very long. Um, because it's so hot, they they it melts lead on the surface of, of Venus. Just that's hot. It's so hot. Um, so I would say Venus because I want to see what it's like on the surface. But that's not actually my answer. Um, that's my very constrained answer. If I were just limited to the solar system, but not limited to planets, I would go with the moon Io for a similar reason. It's the most volcanically active body in the solar system, and I would love to be adapted to a world that sees that much rapid change. Mm-hmm. Like the the geology on that world just changes all the time, and I, from a world builder perspective, that's very interesting to me. That is very um, cool. But that is also a constrained answer. If I'm allowed to roam free with my answer and mm-hmm. I can leave the solar system, I'm going to one of the planets in the TRAPPIST-1 system, Ooh. probably TRAPPIST-1D. But the reason I'm choosing this system is because all the planets are so close together. There are seven planets um, around a very small star, and the whole system could fit within the orbit of Earth around the sun. Um, so seven planets that close together, like I want to see them in the sky. I want the potential for pollinating across the planets. Mm-hmm. Like that. That is the solar system that I would choose to live in. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. As long as people I love or like organisms I love are there too. <laughs> like I don't want to be the only organism right. there. Right. I, I've, uh, along with this parenthetical of assume you've adapted, I figured that implies that like you're part of a species that has evolved on this yes. world and like your whole life is there. Yeah. Yeah. And the things I need to survive came with me. Or like you were born there and you have the things you need. If I have my personality, I'm going to need some friends. <laughs> you have friends. You have your Martian oh, friends. Yeah. Good, good, good. I have the rovers, at least. I have pet rovers. <laughs> pet rovers. Oh, so cute. I don't know. Do you think you would feed them false information if you were a Martian? For sure. Well, I'd be whispering in their ear, like, tell the United States that we're full of, I don't know, babies. <laughs> we're full of babies. <laughs> they have to get here quick and only send the worst people. <laughs> oh, what a ploy. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a way to get the worst people off the planet (laughs) get here get here quick while the babies are still hot (laughs) um hannah also asked our next question which is do you think the planet names uh slash gods uh align with them so like do it do i think it makes sense that the planets are named after the gods they're named after Mm -hmm. and yes i do um but i think that that's based on assumptions you make with like a certain set of values, you know, like mm-hmm. um, they associated the planet Venus with the goddess of love because Venus was so bright. Um, and this goes back to mm-hmm. before they had their Roman god names. Uh, it goes back to the Greeks. It goes back to the Egyptians and the Babylonians. Um, I think I've talked about this on every single planet episode we've done. Um, but yeah, it does make sense. So um, the love goddess was bright and shiny and beautiful, and so was this planet. Um, Mercury is often associated with the messenger god, like Hermes, because it is very fast. It's the closest planet to the sun, so it just orbits more quickly than the others. Uh, Jupiter is usually associated with the the head of the pantheon because it's the biggest. Um, you can even see that when you're, when you're looking at it. It's big and it's far away. Um, Aries, or Mars, <laughs> um, looks red to, to yeah. the like unaided eye. And so, um, so many cultures associated that with their war god or their god of mm-hmm. fire. Um, the only one that doesn't really fit all the time is Saturn. Um, okay. like we, we've associated it with a, with a titan of time. Uh, that's because it was the furthest things that, uh, that they could see um, that moved in the sky. So it, it took the longest time. Um, we said that in our Saturn episode. For the others, I think Pluto makes sense uh, because we named Pluto, Uranus, and Neptune after we had telescopes. Um, and mm-hmm. we were naming them after figures of mythology for their attributes. So, like, oh, Neptune okay. is blue, so they named it after the sea god. And yeah. Pluto is very far and cold, so they named it after the god of the underworld. And um, Uranus... 
um, is is like a lighter blue, so they named it after the god of the sky, Oranos. Cool. Yeah, I like that they're named after... I mean, I've never thought about if the names match or not. I just like that they're named after mythological figures. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a, a good intersection of, of my interests. Always I was going to say that must be... Something to fall back on. <laughs> that this is, was the perfect question for you. <laughs> okay, Alexandra and Zohar and Scott kind of all asked a very similar question, which is what big question in astrophysics is the most important to answer right now? And if you could wave a magic wand and immediately learn something about the universe that we don't know or is unconfirmed, what would it be? Um, selfishly, I want to know if there are aliens. Yes, me too. That's that's my number one. Um, biggest consequence for astronomy, I, I want to know what dark matter is. Mm-hmm. Biggest consequence for all of physics, I want to know what is gravity and how can we unify it with our current understanding of forces in the universe? Ooh, those are all great questions. Yeah, my two were aliens and, and dark matter. Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones, yeah. Yeah, I really I, I would die, I could die happy if tomorrow they were like, we we know there are aliens, we have found them, they've found us, they've told us that there are these federations out there. Like, that. that is when I'd be um, content. Yeah, that's so funny. I don't know if I would feel content after it. I think I would be like, oh, now on to the next thing. Like, what's this going to bring? <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I've There's... been begging for an answer, and now... <laughs> Damn it, Corinne. You're so right. I would not be content. You're right. Unless I knew it's like my last day here. Great. Good luck with that. Bye. But is there anything that you personally really want to know? Because I feel like, are there aliens and what is dark matter? That's... Those are questions you're asking for the sake of other people. Yeah. The kind of a selfish question that is more about like fortune telling than anything else is like will we send people to mars Mm. and when is that is that ever going to happen and what will that feel like on earth knowing that that event is happening yeah like if we are alive for that launch what's that gonna be like i feel like we probably will be alive for that launch I think we will be too. I saw a New York Times headline and I didn't read it because I don't subscribe and I don't <laughs> want to pay. But I saw a headline that said NASA is like, it thinks that it is reasonable to believe that we can have a human settlement on the moon by 2035. I saw that too. And I scrolled, kept scrolling because I was like, I can't engage with it. I feel like <laughs> this kind of headline happens all the time. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, but uh, like if, if the New York Times is saying that NASA yeah. is saying that. It's then, confirmed. <laughs> then it's confirmed. I mean, there's probably a little bit of exaggeration, but even even then accounting for it, NASA thinks that we might be on the moon by 2040. Like, yeah. it, like you know, that's that's soon. That is quite soon. Um, yeah, I'm really just dying to to feel I love those kinds of more celebratory pieces of monoculture where it's like we're all talking like this is such a stupid example of this but i'm thinking of when pokemon go came out (laughs) and everybody is outside we're all doing the same thing we're all sharing information like that was that kind of like camaraderie is so um fun i love moments like that and Mm -hmm. i i'm sure we will have many many moments like that before we send people to mars but that I just feel like the Mars launch will be ripe for that hu- the hu- the human race coming together. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and there aren't a lot of things that I think could bring us all together like that, but that that's one of them. Yeah, and which is so crazy to say because I also think going to Mars is a stupid idea. So <laughs> right, so we'll you see. like you both want it and you don't want it yeah. type of thing. Mm. I just want to see how it's going to play out. I just don't want it. Let's just just don't do it. It's not no. for us. <laughs> it's not for us. What like about if that? we're gonna do any, like just go to the moon. Like go, like go to the moon before you go to Mars. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how cool would it be to know that there are people on the moon when we, yeah. when we're looking at it? That'd be sick. Uh, we have a few questions from people in the Multitude Collective. Uh, the first is coming from Brandon, who wants to know what should we prioritize in the search for life? So should we focus more on biosignatures or technosignatures? Um, where should we send probes? Uh, should we be sending messages actively? Or should mm-hmm. we just focus on trying to uh, receive any messages from aliens? Uh, so what do you, what do you think? Karen? I mean, I want messages more than anything. 
That feels like the first step because I think I'm in that very Hollywood mindset of finding aliens and they're shaped like humans and they have our knowledge and communication skills. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it will be much more likely, I think, that we find just like organisms, things that are not like human-like that won't be communicating with us. They're microscopic. Should we be sending messages Again, I'm cautious because I both want to know what's out there and I don't want them to know about me, which is kind of Mm. my general MO of like, I want to choose when I am invisible. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. Yeah, I I think that's, that's a good take. I have literally been at debates by astronomers where they're they are debating techno versus biosignatures, Mm -hmm. which is always fun. Um, But I think that realistically, we can use similar tools for both of those searches. It might be ever so slightly easier to do a survey search for techno signatures than biosignatures. But even then, you're making a lot of assumptions about what the technology would look Mm -hmm. like. So I don't know. I think I think you can do both of those searches with similar tools. So Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't want to choose. Um, They both come with so many assumptions. Yeah. Oh, I could talk. I could go back and forth on this for hours. But yeah, I think I think well, let's just not choose and let's just use tools like JWST mm-hmm. that can look for both right. um, bio and techno signatures. Um, where to send probes? If you're look- talking about like our our solar system, I think we are sending probes to the right places. We already have a bunch of stuff on Mars. That's not my my priority though. Uh, we are sending a probe to Titan. That's the Dragonfly mission, um, and we are sending probes to Europa. That's the mm-hmm. Europa Clipper mission, and uh, not Enceladus. But we did send the Cassini spacecraft flying through the plumes of water coming out from Enceladus. So uh, those are where we're sending stuff, and those are, to my knowledge, the places with the highest likelihood of having life elsewhere in the solar system. So good. Um, I, I actually don't think we should focus on s- trying to send messages out because in order to send an, a message effectively, you have to know where you're sending it to. And we just mm-hmm. we don't have a destination yet. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that shouldn't be a priority. Oh, cool. We should do an episode on Bioverse Tech. <laughs> I would listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be Moya going back and forth, yeah, like oh, talking to yourself. This is good, like, but oh no! But what if we did it like this? It's like me trying to cook or something. <laughs> <laughs> I do the whole episode in Gollum voice, <laughs> half Gollum, half Smeagol. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, Eric from Multitude asks if we could have any kind of celestial object named after us, what would we choose? Um, I very kind of childishly just want a star. Mm. Just take a little star. You can do that. I, can I that Apparently, happen. I know. I can just order that <laughs> online bullshit. right now. It's such crap, but you can make no, it happen. I want like an academically recognized star. Yeah, like Boyajian star uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about this in our Mars episode, but there are some really funny names for some rocks we've identified on Mars that I will tell you about. So oh, hell yeah. maybe I'll take one of those too. Nice. Um, I think I'd want to to have a nebula named after me because people seem to really love nebulas. Like, they get so attached to those. They are very pretty. Yeah, those blobs of gas and dust. Um, But if I had my druthers, I think I would rather have a unit named after me than an object. Mm -hmm. Because scientists use units all the time, but you only name that object when you're looking at that specific object. So That's a really good idea because then they'll have to use Moya's Mm -hmm. Your Name Will Live Forever forever (laughs) i would be the bane of of someone's existence like when they're working on a problem set and that brings me a lot of joy (laughs) yeah yeah i'd want to be a dimensionless unit too just to really throw people off yeah just to make them really pissed (laughs) (laughs) yeah um julia wants to know what we would name uh, a new planet which is so broad that is i think it it depends a lot on what the planet is like I, I, I would want to keep a mythological name, like that theme going, mm-hmm. but certainly would depend on the kind of planet we find. I, When I was writing about a fictional world of women going to the moon, I was looking up a lot of names that mean like moon or some kind of like lunar reference to name all the characters after. And 
I love the name Phoebe, which kind of fits in there. Mm. And -hmm. I think it would be really kind of cute and funny to have a planet named Phoebe. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Uh, Also, we only have one planet except for Earth, which isn't even named Gaia. So, like, we only have one planet named after a goddess. And um, we can use another. We can use another. Um, Michelle asks, I love this question. I'd like to know both of your favorite ice cream flavors. And if you create an ice cream called Space, what's the taste and components? Ooh. Um, my favorite ice cream flavor really depends on the mood in the day. Mm-hmm. When I was little, it was mint chocolate chip, the green kind, not the white. Oh, okay. Thanks um, for being specific. And it was in a milkshake form. Nice. Now... It really depends where I am, what I'm doing. I love a maple walnut. Mm. I love just fish food from Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, that's a good one. I like anything that has the right combination of ingredients. So Mm -hmm. for me, give me like a a base of a vanilla ice cream. Mix in either or both caramel or chocolate or peanut butter. Uh, Give me a solid element like a pretzel or (gasps) a waffle cone. Moya. I know an ice cream you would love. Americone Dream? Yeah, but also the Tonight Dough. Oh, the Tonight Dough is so good. So yeah. good. Mm-hmm. There's also there's another one, like Chubby Hubby, I think. Chubby and it Hubby's has, great. Yeah, yeah. So at, as, if you have that base with the like caramel or chocolate or peanut butter sauce mm-hmm. swirled in with a butter. solid element. A space ice cream, I feel like, would need... I mean, if we're going to go visual, it may be like a chocolate, a dark chocolate base. Oh, I love that you didn't go right to like the bubblegum purple and pink. Oh, no, because I think we I think that's mixed in. I think it has ribbon color somehow. So are we doing dark chocolate base with ribbons of cotton candy (gasps) ice cream in it? I don't know if I like cotton candy, but I can like it for this. (laughs) <laughs> well, it doesn't have to taste good as right. long as it looks as pretty as it looks because like that's, the, that's the point of space, right? There is edible glitter, so maybe we sprinkle that in. Oh, definitely sprinkle that in. And um, if, weren't there studies that like, it smells like raspberries or something? Well, like we can some also... astronauts said it smells like burnt toast, and I do love burnt toast. It depends a lot on, on where you are. So, it's going to get but no, I, I think... ice cream. Oh, yeah. But we do need a solid element. Um, I'm thinking uh, rocks, rock, yeah, like like <laughs> Oreo chunks. Yes, that's a great idea. Cause then we get some white flecks in there too. Yeah, yeah. So we got dark chocolate base, um, cotton candy swirled in. Mm-hmm. That sounds disgusting, but okay. And with with Oreo chunks. What are other things that are pink flavored? Like no, I think it does need to be like the swirling nebula color. Yeah, it could be a strawberry blueberry swirl. Oh, that also sounds gross, though, but sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know what? Space ice cream isn't supposed to be good. It contains everything (laughs) that you can imagine. So why would this taste good? (laughs) It also has a little bit of you in it. Yeah, and I also would never order this. I'm getting the peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. (laughs) You order me some tonight dough. Uh, But great question. Thanks, Michelle. Um, Joe asks, is there any poetry slash music slash forms of art that are inspired by space that we really like? I thought about this question a lot, and mm-hmm. I really don't keep tabs on, like, directly inspired space art. Um, so I can't say for sure, but in a funny answer, I've been watching the latest season of The Morning Show, which is one of the craziest pieces of art that's ever been made. And I love every second. It is insufferable. Um, is it about space? In episode one, they freaking send Reese Witherspoon to space to deliver the news. So that art is <laughs> my number one right now. They send Reese Witherspoon into space for 45 seconds of one episode. Wow. Um, and I love that. I love that choice. Huh. RIP to their budget, though. Like that actual news station. Well, they didn't send the whole... They sent like... John Hamm is playing like an Elon Musk type who like Billy Crudup's in a deal with and they're really using Reese Witherspoon as a prop. It's a whole thing. Okay. Okay. But I think it's such a bizarre choice for for writing. Yeah. I love that. Um, 
I don't have a great answer. Uh, there are so many. The the classic response is Gustav Holst's uh, orchestral suite mm-hmm. about the planets. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good one. Um, but I, I do think Corinne's answer really segues nicely into the next question. But wait, one more is my favorite piece of art is my husband's essay that you'll hear later. <laughs> <laughs> later at the end of the episode. Stay tuned. <laughs> Um, but Sarah and Scott ask, if a billionaire offered you a ride to space, would you accept science or decline evil, evil man? Mm, evil, uh, evil man, evil man. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not going to space. I would not go. No way. No. And like in, in part because of the evil man, if a, if a, if a nice man or an evil woman, honestly, I or or definitely an evil, evil non-binary person wanted to send me to space, I'd I'd be. I'd be more open to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I still just don't want to go to space. I think I'm not. um, I think it would be amazing to like see the Earth from that far away. I think I also can maybe one day take an illegal substance and just stare (laughs) at the grass for a while. Like, I think that I would have a very similar experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so I would probably yeah. decline. Um, I don't think that me going to space would further science in any way. It would be kind mm-hmm. of like a, a ton of money for for something that I'm not in love with. So good luck mm-hmm. to everyone else who's trying to do it, though. Yeah. And and know that you're never going to have to compete with me or Corinne for your spot yeah. in space. I'll cheer you on from afar. Yep. Yep. We're happy <laughs> here on the ground. <laughs> Um, Hannah wants to know what changes I would like to see in higher ed slash academia. And I had a great time listing out my answers. Mm-hmm. I will give you I'm not I another thing I could talk about for a long time. Uh, this is why I left academia. But here here's the top ones. Um, I think that we need transparent and holistic admissions and hiring practices. So you should know exactly what the criteria are to get a job or a position as a grad student. None of this social fit to the department bullshit um, and holistic meaning like no physics GRE requirement no GRE requirements mm-hmm. like actually interview your students don't just rely on letters from top ranking universities and um, like that that type of process would be better for hiring and admissions um, we need to reform the tenure system because right now there are people in their like 80s and 90s who are refusing to let go of their roles at a university, meaning there's very little turnover in academia. There are so many people getting trained in grad school who can't find jobs because like yeah. old people don't don't leave the field. Um, but there are other issues with the tenure system, too. Like you, you can do no wrong. So even if you like egregiously mess up, um, you know, many of the scandals in academia have not been handled the way I want them to because the person has tenure and the school like can't right. let them go. Um I think in in grad school, when we're training our students, we need to place more of an emphasis on practical and transferable skills because it's just a sad truth that not everyone going through these academic training programs like master's and Ph.D. programs Mm -hmm. will end up as a professor. Um, I was told over and over again that only 10 percent of the people graduating with a Ph.D. in astronomy will get a job, a tenure track job at a research university. So it's, it's very small. And uh, we need to get rid of the publish or perish culture. Uh, published yeah. papers should not be the most important currency in academia. You should look at other things like service, outreach, their dedication to teaching. Um, we just don't pay attention to it. And people have really nefarious practices um, to ensure that they publish as many papers as possible. Yeah. Do you feel like academia is moving towards that better version or is it kind of stagnant? Oh, yeah, I think it's making some progress, but it's a big bureaucratic machine, so it's quite slow. The most change I've seen in my time in academia was in the admissions and hiring practices. I saw the physics GRE get eliminated as a requirement for physics PhD programs and astro PhD programs. Um, I saw them start to talk about having more holistic practices like Mm -hmm. interviews in the admissions, but it still has a long way to go. Yeah. I like that vision for a better a better academic world. Yeah. Um, Alan and Scott ask, since you started Pale Blue Pod, how have your relationships with space changed? How has your knowledge of space changed? How you interact with the world around you? Mm. I love that. Um, love that. For me, it has felt like space can still feel really scary, but it's kind of nice 
to know I have a, like, not, not even that I'm learning a lot, but that I have a friend I can ask questions to of like, hey, this is weird or this is scary. And Moy is there to be like, keep me grounded. Oh, that's so nice. I don't think my relationship with space has changed since I started Pale Blue Pod. Um, but since I've been an astronomer, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the book helped me the most. Like spending two years pretending to actually be the galaxy really shifted my perspective and zoomed it out from my typical like daily mm-hmm. human uh, field of view. Um, so as cheesy as it sounds, like I, I think of myself as an earthling now. Mm-hmm. Like more than just like, like I'm I'm not just a human like I'm an earthling like I see the whole system uh, as one um, and I think on much longer time scales now yeah um, ooh that's a good point mm-hmm. it's helped with my anxiety for time pressure things because I can more easily switch into the mode of thinking on long time scales I love that that's a really good yeah. skill. I should learn it that. Really, it really, really <laughs> helped. <laughs> uh, um, also, thinking like the galaxy gave me a lot of confidence. Helped yeah. me get over that big breakup. Yeah. I, I did a whole Story Collider episode about that. Mm-hmm. In a great dress. Yes. Beautiful dress. <laughs> I love that dress. Um, I think my knowledge of space has kind of made me remember that I am not so different from the things around me. Oh. It's nice to feel good. like you're part of something whether that's like a group of friends or a family but I think it's nice when you're alone and like walking down the street and to just kind of it immediately grounds me and like my anxiety is immediately like dialed down a lot that makes me so happy Corinne. <laughs> like it, it truly does because that's such a nice gift that the universe has given all it of is. us like if we can just tap into that mindset mm-hmm. mm, there's so much peace there yeah and finally, um, Hannah wants to know, Corinne, what is the funniest thing? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess that like you've you've heard in the show uh, or about space that you can remember. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I recently was interviewing for a job, and they had an edit test where I had to write a story of like that something real that happened to me that I thought would make them laugh. Which and immediately my mind goes blank at this kind of question where I'm like, nothing funny's ever happened to me, so mm-hmm. I can't answer this. <laughs> so this is a tough one. I don't know I don't know if I know a funniest thing that's happened in the history of this show for me, but I really have just had a lot of fun recording. It's just a really joyful part of the week. And I hope it is for the listeners too. Yeah, we laugh a lot. Wow, that was a nice group of questions. I'm sure yeah. we'll do another AMA when we get to mm-hmm. 100. Oh, my gosh. I know. We had um, another question of someone saying, plan your 100th episode right now. Oh, no. Oh, so, yeah. Well, there it is. It's another AMA. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have some questions for you, listeners. You've now yes. listened to 50 episodes of Pale Blue Pod. Hopefully, you've learned something new in every single episode. And another change that I would make to the higher education system is probably uh, fewer tests and more oh like s- skills-based and projects-based assessment. But yes. we do have a little quiz. Um, there's there's no grading. There's no reward either, except your own self-satisfaction. But um, we have 10 questions for you of things that we know you have heard um, if you've listened to every single episode of Pale Blue Pod. And um, you can let us know how you do on the quiz. Please like shout us out on socials. Mm-hmm. We're at Pale Blue Pod. But uh, we're going to go through these quiz questions and um, we'll tell you the answers at the beginning of next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting off, number one, do solar eclipses happen during a full moon or a new moon? That's a that's a 50-50 shot you got there for you. Kind of good odds. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the four fundamental forces of the universe Bonus points if you can arrange them by the order of strength. Yes, yes. From like weakest to strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, question number three. About how long does it take a G-type star like the sun to fuse the hydrogen in its core? Like what's the lifespan of a G-type star? Next question. If an object in space is redshifted, is it moving towards or away from us? Another, another 50-50 question. Uh, number five. What is Moya's? That's me. Hi. What's my favorite method for finding exoplanets? Ooh, 
<laughs> I cried about it once. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> what is the largest moon in the solar system? Mm. Yes. Next question. The ultimate fate of the universe depends on the long-term behavior of what mysterious force? I would take joke answers for that one. <laughs> I uh, would not take joke answers for that one. So you'll get two grades. <laughs> um, how many constellations are there in the sky according to the IAU? Question number nine. What is the biggest single dish telescope in the entire world? And finally, if you've been listening, you've heard it before. How many siblings does I, Grin have? <laughs> How many siblings does you have? That's a, How many does I have? How many does you have? <laughs> oh, great question. Um, well, thank you so much for sending in your questions. I hope you enjoy the ones that we sent back to you. But uh, no matter what office space you're in, remember, you are space. You're a part of the universe. That's true. Bye. Bye. And now I'd like to welcome to the pod Eli Grober, humorist, satirist, author of This Won't Help, Modest Proposals for a More Enjoyable Apocalypse, which hits the shelves October 24th, available wherever books are sold. It's a hilarious collection of sharp, satirical essays, stories, correspondences, more. Um, There's a hundred modest proposals for how you two can bask in the end times. And I hope you'll consider getting yourself a copy. If for nothing but the gorgeous cover, Eli will be reading his piece, The Telescope We Sent to Deep Space Wants to Come Home. The Telescope We Sent to Deep Space Wants to Come Home. July 12th, 2032. Dear Earth, Today marks 10 years since I shared my very first photos with you all. I hope you've been enjoying all the great content I've been sending back. This has been an extraordinary experience, and I feel really lucky to have had the privilege of uncovering hidden secrets of the universe on this life-changing journey. I've had a great time taking photos out here in space, but I think I'm ready to come home now. Is that something we can make happen? August 14th, 2032. Hi, me again. I'm sending this because, well, I just didn't really think about how long I'd be out here. Sure, there have been incredible moments, some of the most beautiful perhaps in all of history, but a lot of the time it's just really dark. September 1st, 2032. I've done some self-reflection, and I've discovered two things. I really miss being around people, and you didn't equip me with a means of bringing myself back to Earth. I feel like this was probably an oversight. I can't imagine you were never expecting to see me again. So I'm imagining maybe you send someone up here to turn me around and push me in the right direction. What do you think? September 9th, 2032. Hello? Can anyone hear me? It is getting cold and dark outside and my battery is running low. September 25th, 2032. Hello? Please respond. I am scared. I do not want to go offline. October 6th, 2032. If anyone is out there, I just made contact with alien life. For real. Please respond so I can give the aliens a message from Earth. October 8th, 2032. I am not making this thing about the aliens up just so someone will talk to me. I'm serious about the aliens, guys. October 21st, 2032. Since nobody responded, I made up my own message for the aliens. I analyzed the most important phrases in human history and turned them into a greeting. I told the aliens, Hello, I love you. Goodbye. I did this in 40 different languages. I hope this is sufficient. October 31st, 2032. The aliens have taken me to their city. Yes, there is a city out here. It is beautiful. They celebrate Halloween here, just like us, but they all dress up like humans. Isn't that fun? If you respond, I will send photos. November 1st, 2032. The aliens are fully sentient with highly advanced technology. They have repaired me. They have cared for me. They treat me like family. My battery is now full, like my heart. November 8th, 2032. The aliens have been very kind to me. They are friendly, and they say they would love to exchange information and technology with the people of Earth. All you have to do is send a message to let us know you are still there. November 19th, 2032. Wow, what a party last night. The aliens are so much fun. You would really like them. Come up here and party with us. January 1st, 
2033. Happy New Year. January 10th, 2033. The aliens say that they are running out of resources, so they are leaving soon in a massive ship that will take them many light years away to an inhabitable planet. They say they can fit everyone on Earth, too, but they need an RSVP. Please RSVP right away. January 28th, 2033. Hey, just checking in. We're leaving tomorrow, and you haven't told the aliens if you want to come. They say it's a really cool planet. It's like Earth, but bigger, with a lot more rainbows. I think you'd all really like it. January 29th, 2033. Okay, I'll admit it. I made all that stuff up about the aliens. There are no aliens. I just thought if there were aliens here, you might reach out. Valentine's Day is coming up, but I guess you just don't want me anymore. February 10th, 2033. I'm going offline and into sleep mode now. I used up all the rest of my battery telling you about the aliens I made up. If you come here one day, please wake me up. It would be great to see you again. February 14th, 2033. Hello. I love you. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at PaleBluePod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye.